Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber, <laughs> I'll say that again. I'm a cyber safety educator, and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is Madonna King. Madonna King is one of Australia's most accomplished journalists, having won awards for her ABC Mornings Current Affairs program. She writes across Fairfax, Crikey, and The New Daily, and is the author of 10 books, 10, including the best-selling Being, Being 14, Fathers and Daughters, and now Ten-Ager. Madonna King has an extraordinary ability to connect with experts, schools and the girls themselves to deliver the answers parents need and the communication our girls want. With heightened pressure from what they see in the media, in movies and on TV, our girls are leaving childhood behind well before they hit their teens. Not surprisingly, emotions can be heightened and relationships can be fraught. So when you thought it was all going to happen at 14... Um, it's now happening much earlier. So many parents struggle to understand the pressures our girls are under and how to deal with their emotional volatility. Ten Ager is the perfect guide to help parents understand how their daughter is feeling, what they need to know, what to say, and when to stay silent and listen. Madonna, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Thanks for having me, Leonie. Madonna, you've written so many books before, and, and obviously being 14, I totally understand with my own stepdaughter why that was a, a huge subject for anyone to understand being the parent of a teen. Why have you now written this book called Teenager, which is aimed towards the age of 10? Yeah, because um, being 14 became really popular, Leonie, not because of my writing, I don't think, but because we as parents judge ourselves and worry about, look, are we? why is my daughter doing this? Why is she doing this? Maybe I'm a bad parent. And I think that allowed parents to think, well, hold on, it's not me, it's a phenomenon and I can guide my daughter through it. So when that came out, I had some lovely emails from girls and parents about how that had assisted them. Then I wrote Fathers and Daughters, which was more broadly across the teenage years. And about 18 months ago, I started getting emails from readers of being 14 saying, look, is my daughter particularly advanced because I'm getting the roll, the eye roll now, the door slam. Look, you know, my little girl's gone from being just so innocent to arguing with me about anything is this happening earlier? And mm -hmm. to be honest, I was uh, not dismissive, but I thought, I, I don't think so. So mm -hmm. I actually then went about talking to 510-year-old girls, 1,600 mums, 400 dads, dozens of school principals and psychologists, et cetera, and I have no doubt that 10 is probably almost the most important age, Leonie, because the variance in their development. We've got girls at school in Australia today, 10-year-olds sitting around the same lunch table. Some of them are talking about their builder bear which they told me about. Others are wondering about the cute boy on the bus after school. And mm. they're sitting together today having joint conversations. And I'm not sure there's any other age where the variance in development is so pronounced. So you're, what you're saying, Madonna, is that in what you're noticing, what the parents are noticing is that rather than um, say uh, these 
girls getting interested in boys and all the sorts of teenage things that we used to see sort of towards the end of year six. It's now happening almost towards the end of year four and going into year five. And I can remember having conversations around that time wondering if it was the sort of antibiotics in the chicken that was making... (laughs) you know, these girls mature earlier. But now you're saying it's actually more than just a physical thing that people are noting. It's that emotional development. There's two things. One is some kids aren't, and that's the problem. So they still believe in Santa Claus and fairies and mermaids. Others don't and are quite well-developed. And it's that interaction that I think is part of the problem. The second thing is something I was just oblivious to. But all the research is showing that puberty actually starts more around the age of seven, even six in many girls. But we don't see it. So they don't have their mm-hmm. first period. They don't, they, it's what a, a scientist call their under-the-radar development. And this is the point where they go from their family, mum, dad, grandparents and their pet dog being their whole world to turn mm-hmm. and deciding who do I want to be, who do I like? Do I want to be like Katie or Katie's mother or do I want to be like that girl up the road who stays up till 10 o'clock? They start that search for their own identity and that's when I think it is so, so crucial even before they're almost 10, to be on top of that. And so if that's happening under the bonnet, we can't actually see it. But as parents and educators like yourself, I think we really need to be aware that's happening. So Mia Culpa, I was yelling at my daughter because she kept losing her hat. Well, she'd come home with one shoe one day. Mm -hmm. How do you lose Mm -hmm. one shoe and not the other? (laughs) not <laughs> how does that happen one shoe without the other <laughs> but what i learned was she wasn't trying to irritate me she mm. wasn't deliberately being lazy or um re- having no regard for her property that part of her development was just all in a muddle and she thought she put it down and she hadn't and so my my argument to everyone listening is you know this is a pretty tricky time and it can be six it can be 12 but we need to just consider are our children being naughty or bold or are Mm. they struggling and we can't actually see that because it's the early stages of puberty and all the research I found in teenager is that it's more likely to be the latter and they're mm-hmm. looking for our assistance. And the more we can, you know, often teachers of kids in year three and four, and in what you do, I'm sure you see this, there, there's something about the kids that they can't quite put their finger on. And one scientist from Melbourne said to me, this is it. This is the time when they're reorienting themselves away from those they know to that journey of who do I want to be? And okay. then they begin to struggle. It's also, I guess, when they start to develop those little groups of friendships, isn't it, Madonna, uh, where those little groups of friendships become almost like a secondary family. So they start to sort of pal up into these, particularly girls, these little exclusive gangs. And I know with with some parents, they find that such a struggle because you might have a, a girl that's isolated, that's left out from those groups. And with the advent of, of social media that 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 girls are getting onto around the same time, it can be a, it can be doubly problematic. The only thing I disagree with you is you say a secondary family. I would argue it's almost becomes their primary family. Okay. They will do anything to fit in. They'll wear their hair a certain way. Yeah. 
like these type of genes, they will have this view on Black Lives Matter. They will do whatever that. And I find it quite heartbreaking that in the search for independence, they find solace in this group think. Yeah. Yeah. And in being 14, one school gave me this beautiful analogy that may help all your listeners. But they said that, you know, friendship or fitting in should be a bit like one of those lava lamps, you know, um, that that are a bit old-fashioned, a bit retro, but they've got blobs and the blobs separate and go together and separate and go together all the way to the top and together Mm -hmm. that lights up the room and when you Mm -hmm. go into grade five or six or seven you're right at the bottom you're one of those blobs but to graduate to light up your teenage years you need to be able to leave your group and join another group and and as importantly you need to allow other girls to leave that and join another blob and leave that blob and you'll meet her again halfway up. And over time, that means your whole team journey will be full of different friends and friendship groups and the like. And I asked all these principals around Australia, why did this girl become become school captain? Some were articulate, some weren't. Some were bright, some weren't. But the one thing everyone in my research was they were a girl who allowed other people to join in and who felt confident enough to go and sit with someone sitting by themselves and and girls remembered that when it came time to vote and all our girls want to be leaders they're clever they want to lead in all sorts of ways and I think that's a good way of explaining to both 10 year olds and 14 year olds that um, it's important to be generous in both allowing other people to sit with them, to join in, in inviting people to parties, but also feeling strong enough to say, look, today I'm going to go and sit with the girls I do maths with or the girls I play netball with. I think that's a really important thing for us to teach them. Yeah, and as you said a key word there, which was confidence. So, you know, in order to be able to do that, and I can, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, I mean, things weren't so different when, when we were that age. I can certainly remember being in a gang of girls in year five and all wearing exactly the same crocheted top. <laughs> when you went home, you could close the door and mm. home sanctuary. That's there was right. white space. More yes. often than not, mum was there in the kitchen saying, Leonie, how was your day? You know, mm. now our girls have none of that. Most of mm. us were full-time our girls come home straight into their room with that smart device that follows Mm. them into their room so any kind of argument escalates and the like and so I think it is quite different Um, one school principal recently said to me that she thinks there's almost been a generational change between Mm. an 18-year-old girl today and a 10-year-old girl today that in eight years, that smart device and that mm-hmm. cyberspace and that online influencer market has meant our 10-year-olds are in a different generation than their 18-year-old sisters. That's pretty scary. So what? how is that manifesting in your research, Madonna? What did you discover about that influence on, on the, uh, the 10-year-olds and how significant do you really think that is? Um, I can't underestimate its significance, Leonie. I surveyed 1,600 mums and a half of them said their daughters, that 10, had a smart device. Mm-hmm. I asked 10-year-olds what they were on, and I've written it down here. TikTok and Instagram were the most popular, followed yeah. by Snapchat and House Party, but they're also on WhatsApp, Pinterest, Messenger, FaceTime, Minecraft, YouTube, WeChat, and Messenger Kids. The difference between a 10-year-old, where it is illegal to be on social media, to be honest, and a 14-year-old is in 10-year-olds believed what they saw. 
So, you know, those pretty pictures of an island holiday, they thought that picture was real. So they're seeing those skinny girls, they're, they're reading what they are on TikTok and they're not throwing a critical eye because they're only 10 over that. They're believing that the girls look like that, they act like that, they wear that, they can afford that. And I think that's a real danger in them then comparing themselves and the self-judgment they then deliver after seeing that on social media is just brutal. Mm. So obviously that's going to have a massive effect on their their psyche and their and their mental well-being. Their anxiety. Yeah, why don't I look like that? Why mm. aren't I this confident, self-assured, skinny? Being tall is now a bad thing. So many girls said to me, I wish I wasn't as tall. I've got no friends. Yeah, I find that really – I heard you say that in an interview and I'm quite gobsmacked because I, I do remember being tall when I was at school was was – was not great either, but you would have thought with all this sort of ideation around modelling and everything, it would have been desired. But it's is it about fitting in? Yes, spot on. I think it's what oh. your original question, it, it, they want to be the same height and size, even mm. the same coloured hair. I asked one girl, you know, she said to me, I really want to look like Katie and Katie's her friend. And I said, why? Because um, she's like, she's awesome. I said, well, why is she awesome? Oh, she's just about the right height. Like, look at her, look at her clothes, you know, and she couldn't actually articulate. And when you think that every day our girls are then picking that up on online and the online influencer market mm -hmm. four years ago was worth almost zero. Now it's worth billions and billions and billions. Selena Gomez can get six million likes showing one handbag. So when we think like that it's hard for us mm. it's hard for me to think like that with two teen mm. girls because it's just so different to how our brains operated at that time you add to that then this enormous pressure to do well one psychiatrist said to me that this is where 10 year old girls and 10 year old boys really differ the 10 year old girls have an expectation they put on themselves and they're really aware that academic success is important for later um, career trajectory Mm -hmm. And she, he said to me, his exact words were, Madonna, this is a burden that our girls are carrying. And, you know, girls will, in that little friendship group that you talk about, they'll look around and if their marks in maths are lower than everyone else, they immediately think, I'm not good at maths. They don't think, well, I need to learn algebra a little bit more, which is what a boy might think. And so they then immediately put a limit on their own potential, a ceiling. They think, well, I'm not a math science girl. I won't do that in high school. You know, it's no use trying in that because I'm not good at it. And a male deputy principal who teaches males and females said he's just floored by the difference here. And he gave me this analogy. If you said to a boy, look, that wasn't your best football game, he would think he didn't kick the ball well in that particular game. If you said to a girl, look, you haven't done really well here, she would take that news personally. And he said mm. from his view as an educator, it's a stark difference that girls take things personally, put this expectation on themselves, and that boys don't do that. And I know it's a generalisation, but we see it across friends. Uh, a school principal said to me that if a boy is going surfing, he will ask his friend who likes surfing, not his closer friend who likes cricket. But if a girl is not invited somewhere and she's 
the best friend of the person issuing the invite, she takes that personally. She thinks, why did she ask Sophie, not me? She mustn't like me anymore. And we can see this play out in those friendship groups. Not sure what the solution is. Yeah, I'm um, just wondering where also, Madonna, where that where that's coming from. Is is it also got something to do with this generation of parents and their expectations? Because I, the schools I go to when I talk to principals, they tell me that this generation of parents, first of all, they are doing too much for their kids often and not letting the kids fail and much more focused on success, including social success and academic success. And, and you know, when we were growing up, my, my mother could care less whether I was the most popular girl in school or any of those things. Um, where is that coming from? Yeah, so two things. I think about the age of 14, mid-teens, and a big mea culpa here because I made this dreadful mistake. When I was writing Being 14, girls explained to me that they could get over dad's crankiness because he might go off and it's over, but mum's disappointment got under their skin. So in academic success, that really worried them that mum might have gone back to work just to get them through a good school or mum might have said that even to them. And I used to say to my girls, look, you know, after university or why don't you have a gap year before university or you can stay at home when you're at university. And after writing Being 14, I will never say that again. You know, in my heart, I will really hope and probably expect that they both will go to university. Oh, but I see. I, yeah, but I heard too You were many talking stories. as if it was a foregone conclusion that they would go to university. But it wasn't their story. It was my story. And oh, that, yeah. that expectation on them was huge. And I think mm. that's the case at teens. In, in eight and nine and ten-year-olds, I think they are so used to seeing what they see on social media and what others are getting that our girls haven't learned to swim in their own lane. And I bet uh-huh. you and did when we were smaller, that we weren't trying to live the life of the girl next door. And if I had a 10-year-old now, and for all your many listeners, I would take her to a pool or a running track, get her to stand on the starting block and say, look, everyone in your class is on this starting block at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, you know, every one of you will be at the end of the race, at the end of the swimming pool. How you get there, sweetie, is up to you. You can go really fast and be exhausted and not breathe. You can do freestyle and then lie on your back and see the stars. You can stop and talk to your friend, but you cheat if you cross lanes and start swimming in your friend's um, a lane. Yeah. They need to learn that this is their journey, their race, their story. And I think that will take a lot of that anxiety and uh, they don't compete, they compare. And I think that is at the heart of a lot of what they're feeling, Leonie. I was watching an interview that you did recently, Benona, where you were talking about the influence of smartphones and social media as we are doing now. And you definitely had seemed to have... um, an, an opinion that we need to slow it down, which is exactly in line with what I try to tell parents, that there's so much time ahead of them where they can get involved in this. But you said something really interesting um, that I wanted to dig in a bit more, which was about the displacement effect of smartphones. Can you just explain that a little bit, what, what you mean by that and what you found out about that? Some, one psychologist said to me, Madonna, what would your daughters be doing if they weren't on the phone? They weren't on the phone, yeah. We always, yeah, always ask ourselves. They weren't Mm. locked to their iPad or their computer or their phone. What might they be doing? Might they be reading a book, talking to someone, helping us, 
running around, going for a run. And I think that displacement effect or the opportunity cost of what they are not doing while on their phone is not a conversation we've had in the community. And I think Mm. it would give parents permission to say no more often because I Mm -hmm. think they need to say no more often. Mm. Well, the eSafety Commissioner came out with some uh, recent survey that I think said something like that, you know, the average amount of time that a child is on on their device when they get one is about five five hours a day. And and kids at school will put their hands up and tell me that. And I'm just gobsmacked and I just say to them, five hours? What could you what I could do with five hours? Well and I think we're now seeing a generation of parents in their late twenties or early thirties. And I chaired the anti cyberbullying task force in Queensland as a result of the co-ed, the COAG um, proposal when Dolly Everett died. Mm-hmm. And I had teenagers saying to me that they had missed out on dinner because mum was on Facebook. And I think, you know, now the smartphone has been around for a long time. We mm-hmm. are now seeing a generational change where some parents have their own addiction to social media. Mm-hmm. And the influence then on children is just apart from digital abandonment, as it's called, can be kids learn. They role model what they see, don't they? You know, you drink constantly in front of them, they learn that is normal. You miss in front of them. And several principals said to me that 10-year-olds now are those children who came to school meetings with their older siblings and their parents without a pacifier. Their pacifier was actually an iPad or a phone, watching the Wiggles or, or you know, Sean the Sheep or whatever. So these early tweens now have had this in their hand now for 10 years. It's their world. So how do we slow it down? How do we bring it back? How do we get them to close it? And not feel anxious, but in, enjoy their time off it because it's really, really important to do. Yeah, well, one of the things I, I do hear a lot from parents, um, particularly recently, is the peer group pressure around it. And that also impacts the parents. So a parent, if I say to a group where I'll say, we, we need to stick with the age ratings on these social media platforms. They're just not developed for uh, children, let alone younger teens it's quite impactful on younger teens and we don't know really what it's doing to their sense of well-being and parents will always almost in every talk say to me how do I deal with the peer group pressure that everybody every other kid is on it and I do know that the majority particularly in year six of children are on social media how do you deal with that peer group pressure one of the things I say to parents is well you're going to have come up against peer group pressure for so many things going through their teens so you need to start as you mean to go on and if you can work out a system in your head about peer group pressure around social media it will help you down the track um what do you what did you learn about that social media pressure around social media and and what suggestions would you have out of out of what you discovered madonna I agree with you 100% I think parents shouldn't be afraid to so say no more often I think often kids are coming home saying that pressure that everyone's on on social media and a lot of them are, but a lot yeah. of them are saying it also. Yeah. I think that you parents are within their rights and should be saying no in year six because legally you shouldn't be on social media until you're almost 13. And I think um, um, if parents say no more, 
And they then have a jury of other parents because when we're when we're our kids are in prep, I don't know about you, but I was looking in the lunch boxes of the other kids, and I'm thinking, why are my kids unable to tie their shoelaces, and every other child can? Mm. We stop that in year five or six, often because kids are getting buses or we drop and run. So we no okay. longer have that contact with other parents. Yeah. I think really important, even if they're not our children's friends' parents, but parents with children the same age. So we can sit down and work out together. Well, let's say no on mass. Let's do this on mass. And I think there's power in that because it gives parents um children can't use that everyone else is doing it or that my best friend's doing it or that such and such is doing it if parents are united in it. And I think that's probably a thing that uh, the Triple P Parenting Association told me in terms of um, um, just giving giving parents a sounding board, not just on that, on a whole lot of issues as to what other parents are thinking and doing about these issues. And at 10, it might be social media. At 16, it might be parties. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, sleepovers with boys and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't even want to go there yet. Yeah. One of the one of the aspects of all of this is the 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 culpability and the responsibility of these platforms that are developing platforms and Facebook this week and well, I don't think they announced it, but there are rumors going around they're going to come up with Instagram for under 13-year-olds, a child version. Now, we know they made Messenger Kids, Facebook Messenger Kids, um, which a lot of parents are using. A lot of parents don't really know about it. What are your thoughts about this Facebook actually developing a social media platform for children under the age of 13? hate it. Now, Mm. some people would say, well, they're going to be on the other one if they're not on this. But Mm. I think to be really ruthless... um, These big organisations have had the chance for years to make their platforms safe for children by setting um, preemptive safety privacy settings, for example, by um, there's all sorts of data. You know, we've talked about um, in other forums about uh, youth suicide through bullying and the like. Why can't we can harvest data on anything in the world but we seem to be able to unable to stop messages being put on social media directed at other kids. Now, I bet if there was a pot of gold at the end of it, they'd soon find a way of doing it. Yeah, well, like, they've already done that with Instagram. They've introduced a sort of under 18-year-old thing. And, and they've been and the, dragged into it. No one's come out exactly. to do this. Yes. And so my point is I don't think... I don't even think it's worth discussing them. I don't even think it's worth us relying on them. At the end of the day, this is a parental responsibility and we don't yeah. give a keys to a 16-year-old and say, you've got your learners now, take it for a drive. We teach them how to use the car. Likewise, it is a parental responsibility to get Instagram, to get on it, to set up their own account, to give their child the password if, if that's where they think their child's at and to know the parameters, to know the privacy settings are at the highest to know who they're following and to set rules around the numbers one police officer said to me if my daughter was turning 14 what's the chances of me printing out a 14th birthday party and saying to my daughter here take this to school and give it to 1000 of your closest friends and we'll have a pool party on Friday night <laughs> so why do we allow our children to have a thousand followers on any social media platform I think because sometimes parents really love that. 
I think there are parents, I mean, I have met parents out there who who have basically said, my daughter's going to be an influencer. She's going to be famous. Yeah, well, I, I worry about parents. <laughs> and those parents listening, let me just give you this fact out of being 14. And this comes from someone who looks into the background of footballers to make sure that they are of good repute for, for those those teams that might be selecting them. And she said to me that let's say a teen has 650 friends on one social media app and each of those friends has 500. That means conceivably 325,000 people are able to contact their daughter. Now, that's mm. not me saying that. So, so do you want 325,000 people knowing the name of your puppy dog? what school your daughter goes to, what time she goes to school, where she will be on Friday night. And if there is a parent listening to that who says they don't mind that, mm. I feel like crying. No. <laughs> because that's just not parenting, is it? You know, our, our job is to protect them and to teach them, yeah. I love social media. And, mm. and it is the world of our daughters. But we have to teach them to use it slowly deliberately yeah. and with caution. And they need it. They need a chance to be able to stuff up Madonna, you know, and on social media. It's like a lot of people our age say, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine if all the escapades and things I got up to as a teenager was out there on social media, how it would have affected our, our life journey. You know, these girls of 10 need a chance to be 10 yeah. and to and be you know, little. Unlike us, when we made a mistake, it didn't follow us to a new school or follow us to a new classroom. That's right. Or a new town. But now it does. And that's an awfully big price for a little girl to pay. Thank you so much for your time today, Madonna. It's been really great talking to you, really interesting. Um, and the book is absolutely fascinating. Where can people get hold of it? It's called Ten Ager not to be confused with teenager. Well, um, any good bookstore online at Booktopia or Amazon, it's pretty much anywhere you ask. Thank you for being on Digital Families, Madonna. Um, it's great to chat with you and you, you have a great day and um, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. That will be what, book book 11 will be the next one? <laughs> thank you, my pleasure, and thanks for what you do too, Leonie. Thanks, Madonna, that's great. So thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave a review or some feedback on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And I love to hear what you think. Maybe you've got a suggestion for a potential future guest. Tune in next time for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families. <laughs>